Hey everybody, it's Associate Pastor Jeff Boyette here at Grace Chapel Fairview, and welcome to our podcast. Our prayer for you today is that you will lean into the message and that you'll walk away feeling inspired and changed, bringing you a new perspective on how Jesus is moving in your life. Let's join Pastor Ian. I don't know if, if you've been around me much at all, um, you would know this about me, but I have a bit of a hard time paying attention. Um, it's just one of those natural gifts I have where I can derail focus immediately, and uh, it doesn't take much. Uh, if you think it's bad now, though, you should have seen me in elementary school. So uh, it was really, really bad back then. I was the kid that, like, every teacher at the end of the year, they'd go, he's so sweet, he's so kind. He probably has ADD, though. So just one of those deals. And so uh, it was just, just how I was. And so I, I, I would latch onto something. I'd get excited about it. And, and, and you know, it's, it's just I was easily distracted. I was easily kind of lost focus. And, 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 and in reality, that translated into some good things and some negative things. And, 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 and as I was a kid, I remember hearing about this idea of Boy Scouts, right? Like there was uh, it was a, a Troop One was meeting in the area, and all my friends were a part of Troop One, the Boy Scout group. And nobody's like, yeah, I guess Boy Scouts aren't that cool. But I thought it was really cool. And I didn't think it was be cool, cool because there was uh, like badges. I didn't think it was cool because any other reason except the fact that every now and then, Boy Scouts got to take off and go camping in the woods or got to go on these kind of high adventure trips. And so for me, I, I signed up. Way late in the game, all my friends were like life scouts, about to be Eagle Scouts, were like 13. And I'm like the, the, the Weebolo Scout. Like I'm like the youngest thing you can be. And again, we're not trying to make this cooler than it is. But the reality was, is I never tried to advance my ranking. I just wanted to go on the cool trips, right? And so I just, I would be honest about that. The, you know, the scout masters and all that, they'd be like, hey, you we need to really work on your, you know, knot tying skills. I'd be like, mm, I just want to go to the high adventure trips. And they'd be like, well, you got to be at least this rank to go. I'd be like, okay, well, tell me what I got to do. I'd get through it. So anyways, all that to say, I signed up for this trip and we were headed to Ely, Minnesota, to the boundary waters between Minnesota and Canada, the land of 10,000 lakes. And we were so stoked. We ended up flying up there. Uh, we, we, we get in the area. We're laughing at because they all call, you know, uh, Cokes, Pops, and we were laughing about that. And we end up getting to the location where they're, where they're kind of unveiling to us what this trip really entails. And it turns out that there's thousands of lakes and, and, and tons of different area to go to, and they really just kind of pinpoint on a map somewhere where they're going to pick you up. And they say, hey, in 10 days, be here. You're going to have to portage. You're going to have to hike lake to lake. You're going to have to carry all your gear, make sure it's watertight. So they're giving us a very exhaustive, very important rundown to how to survive and how to live the next 10 days as we hike through the boundary waters of Minnesota and Canada and kind of the, 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 the extreme situ situation we're in. And I'm so fired up. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. And all I can focus on is a big wall of fishing lures over there. And I'm just looking at these fishing lures going, and, and me and my buddy, granted, we're supposed to be focusing on how to survive the next week, and all I can think about is, I want to get that one. 
I like the red one. And he's like, I like the blue one. And I'm like, no, but the red one. And so we're focusing on the wrong thing. We're assuming everybody else. And, and why, I, I, uh, it, when it started to matter, when it started to, to get real to me that I hadn't paid attention to a really important topic was when they dumped us in a boat in a, in a lake and they said, see you in 10 days, bye. And as soon as they said bye, it clicked. <sighs> I should have focused more on the guy than the fishing lures. Now, luckily, there were some adults there, and they were kind of catching the really important stuff, and all of us kids were just being kids. But I'll never forget kind of striking out across that first lake and us going, oh, my gosh, are they really not coming back? Like, <laughs> Mr. Mark, are they, are are they going to follow us? Like, it just it made me realize, like, oh, my gosh, I've not been looking at what really matters. I've not been focused on what really matters. I haven't been, been preparing for what really matters. And so I was playing catch up and I was coming from behind and, and I didn't know what to expect. And I think if we, if we really get honest, the, the modern church has become a place where perhaps we've, we've, we've paid attention to distractions too much We've lost sight of the need to give real tangible instructions for a real challenging world in front of us. And too often, we're focused on a thing that doesn't really matter when we should be listening and hearing something that really, really matters. Does that make sense? And so we, we easily could be so distracted by stuff that as we start to live life and encounter things that truly will shake you to the core, at that moment, and at that moment alone, will you realize, oh my goodness, I haven't been paying attention. I don't know what to expect. I'm not sure how to deal with this. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to feel. Because this whole time, instead of been Instead of me focusing on that which is going to give me life and hope and, 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 and a security, that which is going to feed my soul and fuel my life, I've been more concerned about looking good in front of my neighbor. I've been more concerned with impressing somebody that doesn't give a hill of beans about me. And I'm not trying to be mean. I just, I think the truth is, is that we've got to reorient and re, refocus to go, hey, in this life, we will have troubles. It says it in the book. We know it's going to be true. Jesus himself said it. And so what about our life is preparing for challenging times? What, what, what are we doing to prepare ourselves, not for if a hard time comes, but for when? How do we prepare to live a life where we can give a testimony of, of hope in the middle of heartache. And you see, I think there's something powerful about the way John is writing. As we continue to look at the book of 1 John, we can see that, that, that he is, is concerned for in his kind of in his in his in his time of, of wisdom and, and, and being an older man, being the kind of grandfather speaking into the church. He, he's concerned that perhaps there hasn't been enough personal work done, that, that there's an assumption that everybody else is being spiritual, everybody else is taking care of it, everybody else. And he's going, hey, 
You need to know something. One, you need to know who you are and you need to know what you're up against because there is a, a real fight for your life that's happening all around us and yet sometimes all we can see is what's right in front of us. And so we've got to recognize that there's a, there's a need to kind of get our focus right. There's a need to, to look at what really matters. And John, I think in this next portion, takes aim at that very thing. I've entitled today's message, Destiny Over Distractions. And I don't typically use words like that in my titles because I don't want to be, you know, just, it's like, I, I don't want that to be distracting to you. But, but this idea of, of like, he is speaking directly to who we are before he challenges you with what you're going to be facing in this life. And so I want us to read in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 and 17. That's going to be kind of the root of our text today. And I want us to grab a hold of this and understand that John is speaking into something, saying, hey, focus on this. You want to know how to, how to rally? You want to know how to, how to step into the fullness of life that God has afforded you? Listen to what I'm saying here. It says this, 1 John 2, 12 and 17. It says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father, and I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the, the lust of, of flesh, and the pride of life is not the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Father, we love you. And we desperately need you. Right now, God, would you open up our hearts the best way that, that you can to to help us receive and, 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 and take in what you're saying. Not man's ideas, not my ideas, but God, would your spirit speak truth today in such a way to transform us and shape us and conform us into the person of Jesus that we would all walk out of here saying one to another, today I encountered the living God. God, that we pray in your name and through your power. In Jesus' name, amen. So he starts out by giving a very clear declaration about who he's writing to and why. And I think it's important not to overlook this or just kind of read over and go, oh, yeah, he's just kind of doing an introduction. He is speaking about a reality that is true. And he, he's, he's reaffirming something that has been lost sight of. Perhaps they've been distracted. Perhaps they've been focused on something else. And, and, and he's reaffirming something about their, like, actual reality, but the, also the spiritual reality that they're living in. And so it's important to recognize, first he says, little children. Now, yes, it's kind of cool today. We've got some children in the room with us. We, we shut down some of the, uh, the, the, the children's ministry today because, you know, people go to the lake on 4th on, uh, of July. So, so, well, nobody's laughing, but... 
you can later. Uh, but the truth is, is, is we, we have children in the room. Yes, he's saying little children. He, he's not saying just people that are, that are, you know, three foot tall or shorter. But he's saying, hey, people young in your faith. People that, 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 that perhaps you haven't been around a long time. You might be older physically, but you might be a little child spiritually. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't be upset about that. He's writing to you. He's kind of catching everybody. And what does he say to that believer? What does he say to that person? Your sins are forgiven. And that can be so elementary that we think we, we shouldn't focus on it, but I think that's a huge mistake. Because he's saying the destiny, he's saying the, the identity, he's saying who you are is not what you do with your life. It's not the, the, the accolades you receive. It's not the bank account you build. Who you are is someone whose sins are forgiven. That'll shape you, change you, mold you, and make you someone different. If you live like you're someone whose sins are forgiven. It will change the way you live. But so much of the time, we live in a place where we act like we are the, the sum total of our actions. We act like we are just broken sinners that, that are dying and, and, and have no hope and have no future and just can't get a victory. And he's saying, stop it. Not because of what you do, not because of who you are, not because of what you said, not because of your activity, but because of Christ alone, your sins are forgiven you. That is your destiny. That's who you are. That's what he has afforded you. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103, 10 and 14, it says, He has not punished us as we deserve for our sins, for his mercy toward those who fear and honor him is great and the height of heaven above all the earth. He who removed our sins as far away as the east is from the west. He is like a father to us, tender and sympathetic to those who reverence him, for he knows we are but dust. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Romans 5 says, But God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. 1 Timothy 1, it says, He is a trustworthy, here is a trustworthy saying and it deserves full acceptance. Everybody needs to accept this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners for whom I am the worst. But for that, the very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And Luke 23 says, as he hung on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you doubt that God's forgiving hand can touch your life because of what you've done, what, because of what you have done, you are fundamentally misunderstanding the gospel of Jesus. And it is imperative as we prepare ourselves and stop looking at the distractions of the world to say that is true about us. No matter what the enemy of your soul, no matter what that nagging voice in the, in the mirror, no matter what that voice says in, at night as you lay down, you are forgiven your sins. And you 
can stand in that. You can rest on that. You can believe that and trust in it, not because of something you've done. It's just who you are. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess. Christ didn't cover a little. You are covered entirely. And so as we stand on that, we start to build. Okay, the first point that he's making is, hey, don't forget this. Especially the little children. Your sins are forgiven. Secondly, he says this. Fathers. This one is, again, he, he's talking to practical fathers. But he's speaking less about kind of the paternal position. And he's talking about, okay, if, if he started with young ones. Yes, he's talking to little ones. But he's also talking to young ones in their faith. Fathers, he's talking to, to both. This is kind of a dualistic approach. He's saying, yes, people that are actually fathers, but may also people that are, that are spiritual fathers. He's saying, hey, I'm saying this to these guys, to, to this middle age group, to this kind of other, uh, the other folks. I want you to know something. What does he say to them? He says, I write to you fathers, because you have known him who was from the beginning." You see, there is a powerful reality that we've got to understand that, 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 that he's writing to a group of men. He's writing to this community, and he's saying, hey, you've known Jesus for a long time, and don't you forget it. He's writing to this group of people that in that time, right, he's kind of a, he's the grandfather John, and he's writing to this community, and he's saying to this group, he's going, listen, some of you need to know your sins are forgiven. Some of you need to remember that. Some of you need to stand on that. Others of you need to remember the fact that you've known Jesus from the beginning. You've known about him. You've seen him. You've touched him. You're just like me. You've been around him. And some of us might not need to remember today that your sins are forgiven. You go, hey, I got that, Ian. But you might need to remember that you've known Jesus for a long time and he's never, ever, ever let you down. Your destiny might be remembering the testimony of your story. I'll never forget being in, 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 in Bible college as a young guy and, and I was in, uh, I think my, I had some, I don't know how it all worked, minors and majors, but, but I had a bunch of classes about apologetics and, the, and, and philosophy. And, and defending your faith. And one of the guys in the class stood up and he goes, hey, and it wasn't, it was the teacher, so that's why he stood up. But <laughs> weird storyteller today. <laughs> but he's talking to us and he goes, hey, with all the intellect, with all the, 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 the arguments that I can teach you about the, the, the moral argument, the, the, the cosmological argument, just all the different arguments I can teach you about the uh, uh, existence of God. Nothing is as powerful as your personal story and your experience with him. What no one can argue is the fact that you have a personal experience with him, that you have a testimony, you have a story, you've been there and you've done that. And I would just say for some of us, like it's always crazy to me as I recall stories and I feel like this weekend or this week, Amanda and I were sharing stories with somebody, and, and it just reminded me. I went, oh, yeah, God did that. 
Oh yeah, I experienced that. Oh yeah, that's, that's a testimony. That's not an argument that I developed. That's not some strategy that I thought up. That's a real life experience I had that no one can take from me. But the distractions of the world help us forget, right? Can anybody relate to that? You go, hey, I know Jesus. I've been around Jesus. And all of a sudden you're going, but sometimes it feels like I just don't. Sometimes it feels like I just, he's far away sometimes. And I forget that like, oh yeah, I, I know him. You can't tell me I don't know him. Why? Because he's there. Babe, I thought you were coming up on stage there for a second. <laughs> Bring it, girl. She probably, she loves it when I call her out. But the truth is, is we, we have to realize that he's inviting us to, to go, hey, you want to be able to, to deal with the distractions? You want to be able to stay focused on what really matters? Focus on this. You know Jesus. Remember it. Think on it. Write down what he's done. Testify of his goodness. Talk about it. Be about it. Live about it. Because when you do, it, it, it blots out and blocks out the, the enemy's desire for distracting and distorting. Right? You can't convince me what has happened hasn't happened. Right? You can't convince me that what, what I've seen didn't happen unless you can get me so full of thinking that I completely forget about it. And so I'm inviting us to go, hey, John said to the little children, hey, you need to know something. You need to rest on something. You need to focus on this one thing and this thing alone. Your sins are forgiven. But to the fathers in the house, you need to hear me say this. To the, to the people who've been around for a while, to the people who know Jesus, you need to hear this. You know Jesus. And that feels so like, okay, John, thanks for your insightful words today. But maybe we need to try that on today. Maybe we need to reflect on it. Maybe that thing that you're staring in the face tomorrow is terrifying you, and you need to remember he did it for you before, and he'll do it for you again. Maybe that, that thing that seems so overwhelming, so impossible, that, that just can't ever happen, you need to remember, hey, what am I talking about? I know he'll do it. Why? Because he did it before, and he'll do it again. And, and we don't have to, to wonder and be curious, is, is it still good? Are we still okay? I've said this so many times, but I get so much comfort in thinking about Abraham and, and, and just all the distractions, all the worry, you know, setting up camp every night, doing his thing. And, and all he had to do to remember the deal was still on was open his tent window and look at the stars in the sky. And every time he looked up at those stars, he could hear a resounding voice saying, the deal is still on. I'm not going anywhere. The stars are still in the sky, and I made you a promise, and I'm faithful to follow through. And, and we don't have to understand it and get it, and, and we don't have to fall prey to the worry and the fear. We can just stand on the promise that I know him, and I love him. And because he loves me, I have nothing to fear. And then he continues. He says, got to get in the right spot in my notes. He says to the young men, 
you have overcome. And again, young men here, he's not talking about the old sages. He's not talking about the little children. He's not talking about the fathers. But we have old man John speaking to the heart of what we need to remember. In the thick of life, in the challenges that are coming, that are in front of us, and that are present and, and are in our, in our future, right? If, if the world is going to bring trouble to us, he says to, to you guys, not to the youngest ones, not to the oldest ones, but, but to those right here in the middle, you have overcome the enemy. And as he kind of speaks this destiny over us, he kind of speaks this this, this, this is who you are. This is not, don't, don't stop listening to the world. Stop listening to everything else. Little ones, remember, your sins are forgiven. Fathers, remember. Young men, remember. What he's calling them to remember is in the young men. And this isn't just, don't, don't assume, well, I'm not a young man anymore, so I don't have to listen to this. Hear what he's saying. You have overcome the enemy. Somebody needs to hear today that you're not in the battle to, to try to accomplish overcoming. It is who you are. Because of Christ's death and blood covering you, it says that you are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer. 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? John 16, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you might have peace, and in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Romans 8 says, yet all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present or things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Luke 10 says, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions all over uh, the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And Ephesians 6, 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what's pressing you. I don't know what's concerning you. But you need to know something. You are an overcomer in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can defeat or have the final spoken word over your life when you know the person of Jesus. There is no story. There is no, 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 no mountain too high, no wall too tough. Nothing can keep you from being victorious and having overcoming power in this life. If you know Jesus... The word over your life is overcomer. You can't be stopped. You can't be held back. Victory is yours. Not because you're strong, smart, attractive, or wealthy, but because a worthy sacrifice stood in your place and gave you eternal position in him. You have a future and a hope, and no matter where you've been or what you've done, God's destiny for you is to overcome.
And I'm not just saying that because I wanted to have, like, a, like oh, let's just have encouragement hour up here today. It's what's true about your life. It's what's true about, about what the Word says about you. And while we need to, to understand that, all three of them, right? That, that our sins have been forgiven us, that we know Jesus and we stand on our testimony, and that we have a destiny to overcome no matter what. When you take all of those together and you go, hey, that's what I need to focus on. That's what I need to spend time investing in. That's what I need to speak over my kids. That's what I need to speak in the mirror in the morning. That's what I need to listen to in the night. That's what I need to, to spend my life committing to. Because it's not about what I do or accomplish this week. What, what, but the destiny of my life is not about, about how successful I can be this week. The destiny of my life is to live the way God designed me to live and to love him, to love people and to make disciples in the process. And wherever you are and whatever God's put you in, that's your platform to accomplish that destiny. Your workplace is simply your, the place where God has placed you to make an influence, to help other people stand in the freedom and the confidence and the hope that you have. But what is the greatest distraction that's going to come against this? I think John intentionally couples these two things together. The greatest deception, the greatest distraction that will distort and disfigure our focus and attention that will start to kind of create in us a, a, a lack of, of surety, a lack of confidence. I think it's rooted right there in the second part of this text. It'll break off who you are. It'll break off uh, 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 what you're doing. It'll get you focused on the wrong thing. You'll be looking at fishing lures when you should be learning how to pitch a tent. 1 John 2, 15 and 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that it is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Do not love the world. That's one of those things that sound, it sounds very Christian, right? I mean, it is, it's in our Bible, but like it sounds very like, I don't know what you're saying when you say stuff like that. Don't love the world. And we all just like smile like, yeah, amen. What does that mean? What does it mean to not love the world? Does that mean do not love that Shake Shack just came to Franklin? Don't love it. Does it mean don't love this specific brand or this specific car or this specific thing? Don't love it. That puts me in a place of getting real nervous about what I can like and, and what I can enjoy, what I can focus on. I, 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 it, it makes me nervous because I don't know which part, which, which, is this too, do I like that too much? Do I like this too much? And so digging into this a little bit, you got to understand, hey, don't love the world doesn't mean don't enjoy stuff. Don't, don't, don't have anything, right? It, this isn't some convicting message that says, hey, we should all sell all of our homes and move into, you know, grass huts somewhere. Like, like I, that's not what this is talking about. 
This is not speaking about the world in some sense of, of specific brands or specific things. It's talking about the system designed by the enemy of our soul to entice you and lull you and, and keep you in a place where you're so comfortable or you're so, you're so envious that you don't even know who you are anymore. And if you don't see the difference... Right? It's not about a brand. It's not about a thing. It's not about a restaurant. It's about a system that's designed to keep your attention on that which matters not. It's about an effort, a consorted, a committed effort by the enemy of your soul to keep you so looking at what you don't have, wanting what you, what you don't have, that you, you, you can't help but even even. Think about who you actually are. And, and so there's a, a necessity to, to kind of disconnect the thing from the system. This idea of not loving the world is to understand, I don't want to love the system that has been put in place to build distractions in my life. Confusing me, setting up this desire to steal my my focus of worship, to steal my, 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 my attention, to divert us, to overwhelm our senses with satisfaction and gluttony. It's the upside-down kingdom, hell-bent on our destruction. He's saying, don't be deceived by the flashy, the beautiful. Don't trade your destiny for garbage. And again, it's important to say that's not, like we're not some church that's going to go, hey, this, 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 you know, it's like, it's not about a thing. It's not about a singular place. It's about the world. Do you hear what I'm saying? Is that making sense? And so in order for us to go, hey, we don't want to love the world. We don't want to love that which is, 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 is trying to control, manipulate, steal from, and destroy. He kind of he points it into a, I don't know why I'm holding up, I'm about to say a threefold attack. That's very confusing. Threefold. He says, first, the lust of the flesh. This refers to any kind of fleshly desire. If that's to, like, just, just in the body, just, just physical, very carnal. Any kind of fleshly desire. The, the, the craze for, 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 for over-sexualizing. There's, there's, a, there's a, a huge part of our world now where it's like you can't turn on anything and just not be bombarded by just an overt physical carnality. And I'm trying to be kind of, I know we got a lot of kids in the room today. Do, do you hear what I'm saying, church? There is, a, a, there is a, a desire to lull us to sleep, to think certain things are just okay. Certain things are just normal. Certain things are just fill in the blank. And what it does is it lulls us to sleep. And we see a distraction, what we can touch, what we can feel, what we can experience. That is a way that you can be deceived. The second one is this, the lust of the eyes. Satan tempted Christ in this way by showing him the kingdoms of the world. And if we can't touch it, then the second best thing the enemy can do is go, well, I'll just let you look at it. I'll let you see it with your eyes and lust after it, to long for it's yours even though it's not to, to, to want for it, to, to, to say it, to lust is this. Lust is to say, if I could, I would. 
And, and, and the lust of the eyes is to go, hey, if I can't be there and touch it in person, then, I'll, then I'll, I'll just look upon it with my eyes and allow it to create covetousness and brokenness inside of me. That's another tactic of the world. And again, I would say, church, I hope you hear what I'm saying. This is alive and well today. This is not just in the world. This is in our churches where we have, have fallen prey to focusing on that which we want, that which, that which fills us, that which, it, it doesn't fill us, that which just feels good to us. We've swapped out what feels good to that which fuels. And the third one is this, the pride of life. You see, if I can't get you to, to want something you can't have, to look at something you shouldn't look at, then I'll make you think you're better and a bigger deal than you actually are. I, I will create such a puffed up, such a, such a diverse idea of how you really, you know, I'll, I'll make you think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about, think about how, how good I did on that. And think about how, how well I did that. And I deserve this and I deserve that. I will create a, a pride of life inside of you to distract and distort that which is real. Because pride of our life, to, to, to keep pride in our life, to be polluted with it is, is to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to and to think lower of God than we should. To, to imagine that we're better than we actually are is to take the cross and kind of demean it down and go, it's not as good as it actually could be. And so we've got to understand that there is a, a desire to, to get your hands on something, to get your eyes on something, to get your heart focused on something. Anything other than the thing that John spoke to us that our sins are forgiven, that we know Jesus and that we will overcome. You see the two different places. One is the kingdom of this world and one is the kingdom of heaven. And the question we've got to ask ourselves is where are we putting our roots down? Where are we committing to spend our, our time, our energy, and our efforts? Where are we investing in? Because one or the other is going to lead us toward life or toward brokenness. One's going to lead us toward hope and healing and preparation for times that are difficult, being able to endure, being able to, to overcome. And one is going to lead us to fall apart in the midst of tragedy and pain and heartache. And so we've got to grab a hold of it and say, hey, no matter how tempting, no matter how, how attractive, no matter how tantalizing that is, I'm going to invest in that which is eternal. Because like the scripture says, the world is passing away. But one thing will remain. One thing is eternal. This thing is that which will endure forever. One will lead to regret. One will lead to hope. And so our invitation, our exhortation today as the church is to go, hey, the best way we can, we need to walk out of this place standing tall, standing firm, investing in, looking upon that which is true and eternal and resisting that which is, is broken and, and, and actually designed to steal our worship, steal our focus, steal our heart and take it away from that which is actually going to, to shape our life. And so I want to invite us today to... To lean into this. As we all go and it's July 4th and it's going to be a great day. I don't want you to walk out here and go, golly, this is just, I don't even, 
That was heavy. I want you to walk out of here to go today and say, there has been a spoken word over my life. And it is that my sins are forgiven, that I know Jesus, and when I know Jesus, nobody can take that from me, and that I am destined to overcome no matter what. And there's a, there's a fight for my focus and my attention, and there's a desire to get me, get me all caught up and all turned around and backwards, but I can recognize it, I can see it, and I can resist it, and I can step into that which is eternal for my life. Because of Jesus, I have a future and a hope. Amen, church? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for these moments we have. Thank you for your word to us. Thank you for patient people that endure long-winded preachers. And God, I pray that you would open up our hearts again, God, and help us to see that which, is, that which we need to grab. Lord, if it's just my words, my ideas, I pray that it would just hit the floor and we'd walk out of here and enjoy lunch. But God, what you've said, would you sow it into our heart? Would you speak it to us in such a way that we would actually do something with it and start to live differently? God, we honor you, we thank you, and we give praise to you that you've made us more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Amen, church? Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you really, really soon. See you next Sunday. Enjoy the 4th of July.